Hello, Save Podcast listeners. Thanks for being here today. Welcome to another episode on the Save Podcast where we chat all things about Jesus and life with Him. Today, we are going to be talking about what it means to love our neighbor. So let's jump into it. Last episode, we talked about what it meant to love God. And uh, that's a a pretty complicated topic, and I don't even know that we got into um, all of it, but I hope that from that episode you were able to glean some useful tidbits, um, especially as we paralleled um, our relationship with Jesus or the church's relationship with Jesus to what God has told us is his plan for marriage and how they're similar, um, but also how they're a little bit different. So today we are talking about what it means to love our neighbor, like I mentioned, and this is coming um, from a passage found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And that's where I want to start today is by reading that passage again. So if you have a Bible with you, whether it be a tangible version or an electronic version, I encourage you to pull it out just because it's so great when we can read the word of God together. So again, Matthew chapter 22, I'm starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So obviously, Jesus thought um, that loving your neighbor as yourself was pretty important, especially because he lists it and combines it with the greatest commandment of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, soul, and with all your strength. So obviously, loving your neighbor is pretty important, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. And as we talk about it, when I was first thinking about it, thinking about what does it mean to love my neighbor, I first thought of like the emotional response, like the, the I have feelings of love for my neighbor. Is that what this verse is telling me to do? Is it telling me to have feelings of love for my neighbor? But as we study it, as we dive into it here, I think it's talking more about our logical response to loving our neighbor, our our mind and our actions response to love our neighbors, especially because we're not always going to feel those emotional feelings of love for our neighbor when our neighbor is the person that we interact with every day, but also could be the person that we only interact with once in our entire life. So we're going to be taking this today from a more action-based standpoint, similar to the last episode about loving God. And on the last episode, we broke down loving God into five different parts, which was very difficult for even me to keep track of. So today, we're only going to go with three, three parts of loving our neighbors that I think I want to talk about today. And those three parts being forgiveness, wanting what's best for them, and praying for them. Those are the three parts of loving our neighbor that we're going to talk about today. So let's jump into forgiveness. This is a very important topic, and we can look at it from two different angles about when we we feel like we have been wronged, and then also when we wrong someone else. When we feel like we have been wrong or offended, it can be really difficult. It's, it's really heartbreaking, especially if that person is close to us, um, especially if we have a good relationship with them, and especially if we feel like they violated our trust. But we have to remember in loving our neighbor, 
that we don't really have the right to hold a grudge against our neighbor, right? Even if they have wronged us and even if they have done something to offend us, we have to remember that it's not really our right to be mad at them and it's not really us necessarily that they have only sinned against. Um, oftentimes, not even oftentimes, that's not true. Every time when any of us fall short and hurt someone else, ultimately that's because we're kind of not right with God, not like on a, on a long-term, like ever right with God, but more like, um, thinking of ourselves instead of God. And that causes us to act selfishly towards our neighbors. I hope that example helps clarify what I mean there. So when someone has, has sinned against us, we don't have a right to hold a grudge because one, they're not just, um, sinning against us. They're actually sinning against God. And also the other thing is that when we feel like we have the right to hold a grudge, we have to remember how we would feel if Jesus felt like he had a right to hold a grudge against us. Jesus is actually the only one that does have a right to hold a grudge against us because he is the only perfect and sinless man that's ever lived. And by us falling short of him, he had to die on the cross for our sins and take the whole price of our punishment, the whole weight of our punishment. That's that's the only person in the universe that deserve, des- really deserves to hold a grudge. So yes, as we love our neighbor, we unfortunately can be in situations when we get hurt. But at the same time, going into that process of forgiveness after a period of, of healing and of processing, we have to remember that we can't keep forgiveness from someone who's asking for it. So how do we love our neighbor when they sin against us? Um first of all, we need to make sure that they know that they're aware and not like in a, a, condemn, a condemning way or in a way that makes them feel really terrible. But um, if it's something that they don't know that they did, if it's something that they haven't acknowledged, just making sure to have face-on-face time with them or over the phone if you absolutely have to. But just being able to talk to them and say, hey, I know you didn't mean to hurt me, but when this happened, I felt this way. You just bring it to their attention in a very loving, a very kind way. From there, allowing them to offer up an apology and listen to their apology and take it seriously and affirm that, yes, they did hurt you, but you know that it's their deepest intention to remedy things and that you will forgive them and this won't come up again. Sometimes it can be easy to hold on to our grudges and to hold on to things that people have done against us and... um, it can be easy to moving forward say, well, remember that one time. But again, looking at the example of Christ's forgiveness of us, we need to remember that like Jesus removes our sin as far as the East is from the West, we're obligated to do that for our neighbor as well, is to hold their sin as far away from them as the East is from the West. On the other hand, if you have wronged someone else, Remembering that it's our job to own up to it, even if it's uncomfortable and even though we might feel like we're still right or like it was justified, remembering that we are in the wrong is the most important thing to do when asking for forgiveness from your neighbor. So letting you know that you know you hurt them, owning up to your mistake, and that you want to apologize 
you can't really excuse what you've done. Um, and an effective apology, I'm just speaking like from experience here is when I try to do that, when I try to like explain what I've done wrong or justify why I did it, um, that doesn't really help the other person. It's not necessarily beneficial to them. Um, and it kind of probably to them makes them feel like you're minimizing, um, how they feel, but instead just acknowledging, owning up to what you've done wrong and saying, I apologize. Will you please forgive me? And those verbal words, in my opinion, are just so important, um, especially because we kind of tend to shy away from uncomfortable feelings in today's culture. And I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of being like, ooh, that's going to be tough when I have to say, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? But by saying those words and then allowing the other person to respond that they do forgive you, there's a lot of healing that's found in that. And it really allows you to show that you are truly remorseful and it allows the other person um, to really give you that feeling of forgiveness, giving you that, that clear forgiveness. And moving forward, you don't really have to ask yourself um, you know, are they mad at me because they said they forgave you? And if they said they forgive you, but then they're acting like they're not, yes, you can bring it up to them again, but at the same time, allowing them to say that their yes means yes and their no means no. Taking them at their word and knowing that they had the opportunity to bring up their concerns to you and anything beyond that is their responsibility. So, of course, as we talk about forgiveness with our neighbors, that is just such a such a, a, a zoomed out um, flyby of the topic of forgiveness. And there's so much more that could be said about the theological basis of forgiveness and, and the model that God gives us for forgiveness to follow when we get in conflict with one another. Um, excuse me, but that's that's kind of the the basic outline or bare bones um, that I think is really helpful with forgiveness, kind of those concepts in terms of what to do when we feel like we've been wronged or what to do when we've wronged someone else. Um, That really simplifies things. And I know it's much more complex than that. We have much more complex hurts, much more complex conflicts um, where things that are very, very damaging happen, things that are very dangerous might even happen. And in those instances, it is so important to seek out a trained counselor or pastor or mediator to help navigate through that conflict and also determine the appropriate steps moving forward um, so that trust can be rebuilt in a relationship. Um, At the same time, too, if you're just looking for more resources to hear about conflict and forgiveness and the importance of it, um, Pastor Gary at Trinity Fellowship in Big Rapids has a huge sermon series and a big collection of content that he has prepared um, that you can check out online. You can just Google Trinity's website, and then there's a a section on Trinity's website called Pastor Gary's Toolbox, and in there, there is just this wealth of information about forgiveness that is so much more in-depth than I went today um, and has so much more information and uh, so much more applicable and helpful guidance. But like I said... We're just going to leave it at that today for forgiveness. And that's the first part, like I said, of what we're going to talk about today in loving our neighbor is loving our neighbor includes walking the path of forgiveness and conflict. The second part of loving our neighbor that I want to talk about today is wanting what's best for them. And this is an idea that I got from reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, um, where he was talking about what it truly means to love our neighbor and how a part of that is wanting what is best for them. So 
What does it mean to want what is best for our neighbor? I think first we need to think about what it means to want what's best for ourselves. So for example, how we kind of operate with our own self-interest in mind. We operate with this um, kind of general assumption that moving forward, we want to achieve our goals. We want things to work out in our favor. We want people to think positively of us. We want people to act positively towards us. We kind of have this expectation of being treated like we have value or like we have worth. And some, I mean, that's, that's healthy. That's good. But we need to remember that we can't allow that, that desire to cloud what we think of other people or to interfere with serving other people. And we can have that same assumption, the same feelings of goodwill, the same feelings of wanting things to work out, of wanting the best to be true of them, of, of seeking forgiveness. We can apply that to our neighbor as well. So we can want what's best for our neighbor. We can want them to succeed. We can want them to do well. Um, the, base, the most basic way I can explain it is we just, we just want to have a good day. We should want our neighbors to have a good way. So that includes kind of three sub-bullet points here. So we're on item number two of what it means to love our neighbor, of wanting what's best for them. And the three points we're going to talk about in sharing what's best for our neighbor is assuming the best about them, wanting them to succeed, and speaking truth in love into their life. So let's talk about what it means to always assume the best about them kind of like I just touched on, we always want to be able to assume the best about our neighbor when they do something that we don't necessarily understand or we disagree with or we don't think is correct or any of those things. It can be so easy to just jump on them with the, the I have like an image of a, of a hawk with these sharp talons just swooping down on them and just sinking into their skin and tearing into them in the form of judgment and gossip. <laughs> but let me tell you what, um, that's not loving our neighbor. I think you know that. I know that. Um, but it's just so difficult to practice. Um, it's so difficult to really rein in our mind, um, especially in groups too, when we're talking about our neighbor's when they do something that we don't understand or something we don't know the whole story about, it can just be so easy um, to jump on them and share things that are less than loving to other people, um, to gossip about them. And uh, a helpful acronym that I've learned over the years is the acronym of T when it comes to talking about someone else and wanting what's best for them. Um, when we're talking about someone, we need to ask if what we're saying is true edifying and apt or T. First of all, is it true? Are what we say is what we're saying to other people um, actually true? It's not speculation. It's not a lie to make ourselves seem better. Um, it's not halfway confirmed. It's is it is it fully true? The second thing is edifying or is it building the other person up? Is what we're saying just building them up, speaking positively about them, shedding a great light on them? Is it edifying to them? And then finally, is it apt or is it appropriate? Is it timely? Is it relevant to the discussion? Um, we need to be able to answer those questions in a positive way before we're talking about someone else um, behind their back. And we need to be also willing to take it a step further and stick up for them if we hear someone that is gossiping about our neighbor, whether it be our neighbor that we know very well or someone we've never even met before. It's so hard because it's just so satisfying to like listen to gossip and be like, well, at least I'm not the one saying it. So it's, it's not that bad, right? No, 
it's just as bad as speaking it as wanting it wanting gossip to be heard or, or invoking people to share gossip with you is just as bad as speaking the gossip yourself so as we love our neighbor assuming the best about them sticking up for them and just sharing information with other people that is a true edifying and apt So also, what does it mean to want what's best for our neighbor? It means that we want them to succeed and put aside feelings of jealousy. So for example, I think this one really applies to our our close friends. I know this is something I've been tempted not to do in the past. Um, When you see a a friend um, who's at a point in their career that you wish you were at, or you see someone who made it into a college um, or is more successful in school than you are and you wish you were there, or they have a certain kind of relationship that you just think you really, really want and they have it and you don't. Um, In those moments, putting aside feelings of jealousy, putting aside those little voices in the back of our head that say, oh man, if they would just, if they would just get an F on that paper, or if this really, if if they get in an argument in that relationship, I kind of feel good about that because at least then they don't have what I have, or we both don't have the same thing. At least we're on the same playing field there. That's not what it means to love our neighbor. That's not what it means to want what's best for them. Ideally, the the standard I would love to be able to hold myself to is in wanting what's best for my neighbor, actually doing what I can to promote them to higher levels or to 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 um build them up to help them achieve what they are going after. Yeah. I don't know, in any category, whether it be the, like I said, career school or relationships, whether it be in their hobbies, whether it be in um, what they do for fun, recreational activities, it doesn't really matter, Um, especially in their faith, wanting to just want them to succeed, to flourish and doing what we can to support them and encourage them in that. That's kind of taking it the step further is not only wanting them to succeed, but to help them succeed in any way that we can. And then finally, what does it mean to want what's best for our neighbor? It means that we're willing to speak the truth in love in their life. So unfortunately, we are broken people who have sin in our lives. We have sin, addiction, broken relationships. And if we're to love our neighbor and to want what's best for them, we are going to, in love, pull them aside individually and speak truth into their life and what they're going through. So a a friend, for example, that... um, is in a in a relationship that you know isn't honoring God because they've shared that with you and they're asking you for advice. Um, doing what's best for them um, means that you're willing to speak truth, even though it can be difficult and even though it can be uncomfortable. Um, just making sure that we always come from a, a place of humility, a place from understanding that we're just as sinful and just as broken and we, we aren't any more righteous than the person that we're trying to help along. But at the same time, um, just being honest with them and saying, listen, I, I know you take your relationship with Jesus seriously, or listen, I, I know you want what's best um, for yourself moving forward if they don't know Christ. Saying those things and then saying, so with that being said, I'm a little bit concerned about X, Y, or Z area in your life. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about? And as with forgiveness, this can be uncomfortable and it can be ugly and um, it's a part of 
living with one another in a broken world but at the same time it's so important to do um it's just my it's my prayer that my closest friends if they saw me doing something to totally derail my walk with christ or to really hurt those around me or or something that i wasn't even aware of it's my prayer that they would say something to me and that they would speak truth and love into my life um so that I wouldn't continue to walk down that path as opposed to, as the illustration goes, I don't want a friend to just wave as I drive my car off a cliff. Really, I, I want to be the type of friend that would run out in front of the other person's car at the risk of getting run over so they don't drive off the cliff. It's just so important. It's so challenging in today's culture where we want to, to be um, kind and we don't want to offend anyone. Of course, you don't want to actively persecute someone, but at the same time, you have to be willing to get into uncomfortable conversations for long term. What's the best for both of you? So I hope that makes some sense. That was bullet item number two, wanting what's best for your neighbor. That's a part of loving loving your neighbor and wanting what's best for your neighbor includes assuming the best about them, wanting them to succeed and speaking truth in love into their life. So the third and final bullet point about loving our neighbor includes praying for them. So you might have heard the first two bullet points and the challenge that's there and the uncomfortableness. Is that even a word, uncomfortableness? You might have heard that and said, how the heck am I even going to do that for other people? It seems impossible. And you're right. It is impossible. Those difficult and uncomfortable conversations are just so cringy and so terrible and just totally undoable in our own power. However, in the strength of Christ, in the love of God, with his power, with his guidance, and with his discernment, attaining that through prayer and seeking him, it is possible. So as we pray for our neighbor, we can pray that we can be a better neighbor to them, that we can be more loving, more sacrificial, but we can also pray for that person individually, pray for that person specifically, whether we know them quite well as our neighbor or whether we're just passing by them on the street or whether they cut us off in traffic (laughs) or anything like that. We can still be praying for our neighbor. I find that when I'm having negative thoughts about someone or I'm not thinking highly of them, praying for them can just change my mindset so radically because an encounter with Jesus changes us so radically and it changes my mindset and really allows me and gives me the strength that I need to love them with Christ's love, to love them with God's love, to love them as God loves them. Praying small prayers for them like that they have a good day, or like I said, the person that cuts us off in traffic, maybe they're in some huge emergency. Praying that they get to where they need to be safely is a great prayer for those kinds of people. Um, And I pray that is something that someone else is praying for me when I'm driving like a maniac. Um, Not that I do that frequently or really at all. But anyway, so small prayers for our neighbors, um, but also big prayers for our neighbors, like praying for their family, praying for their future, praying for their faith. I think those... If just imagine if each one of us was able to cover the people around us in prayer. And if each person was doing that, how many prayers would get sent up to heaven for each of us individually? 
And prayer is so powerful and so important. And I think something that we often, I don't know, maybe this isn't you, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, is something I so often neglect because I I forget how important it is. But if we can just pray for our neighbors, pray for the big things in their life that we do or don't know about, pray generic prayers for them, pray um, specific prayers for them, whatever the case may be. Praying for our neighbor is just such an important way to love on them, just a way to really value them, a way to really lift up their worth, a way to really impact their life and their day. You're never going to know sometimes what the impact of your prayers are. And that's okay. That's part of the joy of it is getting to bless someone even though you don't know what the outcome is. But at the same time, you might get to experience something incredible someone close in your life who shares something with you and being able to say, I was praying that for you. I, I've These last hours, days, months, years, whatever, I've been praying that for you and God brought it to fruition. That's just such such an incredible blessing to share with someone else and an incredible blessing to be a part of. So there we go. The three parts of loving your neighbor. I hope that was easy to follow. I hope you glean something useful for that. I hope you just feel more equipped to love like God loves and that something was shared that really pricks at your heart today. Um, One final thing I want to talk about or mention just in passing about loving our neighbor is in the text, um, there's a note in the ESV study Bible and it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself um, for verse chapter 22, verse 39, it says, the the ESV study note says, love signifies a concrete responsibility to seek the greatest good of one's neighbors, both Jew and Gentile. So in the context of the, of the passage itself, both Jew and Gentile means both the person you interact with every day and the person that is an absolute stranger to you and you might never associate with. And that's still what we're called to do today. Whether it be someone you agree with, whether it be someone you don't agree with, whether it be just a stranger, someone you may never even see again, those are still people that we're called to love by being courteous, by being sacrificial, by wanting what's best for them, by praying for them by assuming the best about them. That is just so difficult today, especially in our politically charged environment where it's assumed that if you disagree with someone, you hate them. And we need to do a better job at communicating our love for someone when we disagree with them. Instead of just getting into this huge argument and attacking someone's character and assuming that they hold the belief they do because they're absolutely evil, instead entering into a conversation with them and asking them to explain where they're coming from and listening to their heart and making the assumption that they just want what's best. And also as we love our strangers, we need to remember that we need to think of those that come after us, whether it be in work, if you're working on a project that's going to be handed off to someone else who's going to take it the next phase or the further down the road, thinking of how you can do your work in a way that makes their next work or next part of the project easier. In school, the same thing. If you're in a group project or even if you are researching something or studying something or on a sports team or whatever. If you're volunteering, if you are making sure to be green with our environment and take care of that. I mean, you can you can take this really small, like really 
short term of saying, okay, who's going to work on this project after me? Or you can take this really large scale and say, okay, who's going to be on this planet after me and what can I do to care for them? Okay, it is so important to love our neighbors because the enemy knows we are ineffective in fighting him when we're fighting against each other. That's where I'm going to leave it today is that we're called to love our neighbor because we need everybody that we can to fight against the enemy and to bring God's kingdom to this earth. Even though it's difficult, even though we're all fallen, so we're, I mean, two sinful people in relationship with each other, not to mention like when you start to blow that up into big groups of people, is so difficult. But when we're busy fighting against each other, when we're busy blaming each other, when we're busy watching out for ourselves, that's when the enemy can move into the camp and further divide us. And when we're divided, we don't have the same strength as we do when we're unified to do God's will, to share God's love to bring God the glory and to bring his kingdom to this earth. So if I had to summarize today what it means to love your neighbor, it means serving them above yourself and unifying the camp to God's glory. So now let's jump into Q&A time. Jeez Louise, it is time for our second ever Q&A time here on episode 10. This is like a major milestone. Like I feel like we should be doing a free giveaway or something. Oh wait, we do do a free giveaway of free stickers and that's how Q&A is brought to you today. If you send me a question, whether it be something that's super deep and complex about what's your biggest sin struggle or something super light and cheery about what's your favorite color or what do you love about podcasting or who's your favorite Bible character and why? Things like that. I don't care. Send it to me on email, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, however you need to get a hold of me. And I will answer it anonymously on the podcast. And also I will mail you a saved podcast sticker right now, still on edition one collector item, limited run could be in your mailbox in two days if you sent me a question today and I put it in the mail today. Anyway, community building is so important and I feel like Q&A is a really good way to do it. And I appreciate that y'all know that I don't know everything and therefore your questions are met with semi-qualified answers. But I just think it's so fun to hear from one another and to, to, to talk with one another and to share with one another. And I just really appreciate every time I ever have anything in my inbox. It just warms my little heart to know that there are people out there that are listening to this and hopefully um, getting something, getting a, a little tidbit to use in their relationship with God um, to be able to, to draw nearer to him because it's all for his glory. So I have two questions today that I am going to answer. The first question is, has there ever been a time in your life where you found it difficult to trust God? The answer is yes. I think for anybody who's known Christ for any amount of time, the answer is yes. Um, The root, I think, of difficulty in trusting God 
is not having faith in his supreme and perfect sovereign will over our entire lives and the entire universe. And as I look at times in my life where I have found it difficult to trust God, um, one time specifically that I, I really found it difficult to trust God is is when I was still in dating relationships, trying to navigate what God's will was um, and trying to navigate what I thought was best and what I thought would be the most helpful and what I thought was the best plan. Just when we find it difficult to trust God, it's because we're acting short-sighted. It's because we're acting with a short term in mind and we're very focused and zoomed in on in our mind, what might seem like a long time, but in God's mind, God who knows the entire universe and what will come and what has come in the past and what is leading to this exact moment. I mean, our our long-term is like God's blink of an eye. And when we lose sight of that, that's when we lose sight of trusting in him. And what has just been the greatest relief in my heart, it's just so interesting because when I, when I try to take things into my own hands, when I try to have control over um, my relationships, let's say, when I try to have um, control over my finances, when I try to have control over whatever, and I'm not saying like a good control, like a, a responsible control, I'm saying like an obsessive control that just somehow has everything perfect. It's because I'm I'm losing sight of God and there's just this huge anxiety that wells in me and feels like a pit in my stomach. But when I pass it over to God, when I say, God, you're in control, you're the one that will tell me what to do and I just have to execute your will, whew, talk about a weight being lifted off your shoulders and a joy being placed into your heart. So if you are at any point, I mean, maybe you're there today and you're saying, I think God's telling me to do something, but I don't know. It seems kind of risky. I don't know. It seems kind of foolish. I don't know how I'm going to explain that to other people. I don't know. Is God sure? I mean that? I don't know. Just trust him and move into that. Press into that. Because when you are walking in the path of God, as my mother-in-law Patty told me this weekend, when you're walking in God's way, he will work it out for your good. I mean, that's that's not even like Patty's words of wisdom. That's like the Bible's words of wisdom. That's what you can rest on is that truth of God will bring his good work to you in completion. God will provide for those that he loves. God has you in his hands and he loves you and he cares for you. He has the hairs on your head numbered. Just rest in that truth, my friends. And let's jump into question number two. What are you most excited for in the new heaven and new earth? Great question. Such a good question. So first of all, I am getting to see Jesus and I am thrilled. I mean, in our life on this earth, we still see Jesus um, work kind of like the wind, you know, and it talks about the wind is an example for the Holy Spirit in scripture about how you don't see it, but you see his effects. But imagine getting to actually see Jesus. And the book of Revelation just has some insane imagery for what represents God and Jesus. And I don't know if that's literal or if that's just an illustration. And I'm still trying to understand, I mean, half of even the words in there. But it sounds like it will be incredible. And getting to see Jesus without the barrier of broken humanity and sin in the way, I am just 
pumped. I mean, like stoked. Like, I'm trying to think of a good illustration. Okay, here we go. So, junior high me excited for the release of the next Twilight movie times 5,000. Okay, I know that sounds crazy, but that is the level of excited I am to see Jesus face to face. Second, what am I excited for in the new heaven and new earth is seeing the world as it was supposed to be without sin. So there is some beautiful imagery found in Genesis. We talked about it kind of at the beginning of this podcast. We were in Genesis quite a bit, but there is just such a a beautiful oasis that God created for us to live in. And unfortunately, it's tainted by our sin. And that's why we see strife and sickness and illness and disaster today is is because of our sin and our choices to deviate from God's plan. But that will all be restored in the new heaven, in the new earth. And that includes our our. our, our I, I don't know if soul is the right word. I mean, we will be totally transformed so that we will no longer sin and we will no longer have to live with the conviction that comes when we sin. And I mean, that's a good thing to have on this earth. It's it's good to be convicted and broken over your sin. And I'm not looking forward to getting rid of the, of the effect. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting rid of the effect of sin, but I'm most looking forward to getting rid of the cause of sin. I hope that makes sense. I'm I'm not trying to dodge the conviction itself. I'm trying to dodge why we have to feel convicted in the first place. And that's what we will get to experience in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't think that sounded like theologically correct, but I hope it made sense <laughs> for for the common man myself of that. Um, just just getting to, to see the world, getting to see uh, one another getting to live in right relation with God and with one another and with this earth, I think will be so exciting and so beautiful. And then three, there is like a lot of stuff that I want to see in this world or like a lot of places that I want to go to or things that I want to experience. And whether the earth after Jesus comes will be exactly like it is now, but without the stain of skin, sin, or whether it will be like an actually different earth that is somewhere else that's totally different, I don't know. It's going to be better than it is now. And it's going to be way better than the best we even have right now. So even if I feel like I'm missing out, you know, I think sometimes we think, oh man, God, like, I hope you don't come soon because I might miss out on X, Y, or Z. No matter what we miss out on, we won't really be missing out on anything because what God will bring to fruition will be so much better than what we already have. So yes, what am I excited for in the new heaven and new earth? Getting to see Jesus, getting to see the world as it was supposed to be without sin, and then also getting to see all of the marvelous parts of creation that I won't be able to see in this life. So let's wrap it up there, folks. Please check us out on social media to get a bunch of content throughout the week. I have been really on board with kind of actually planning content and posting more frequently. So find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Saved Podcast, and then at any time, shoot me an email at thesavepodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Like I mentioned at the beginning of Q&A, it just warms my heart and it builds a community in just such a wonderful, wonderful way that I hope is encouraging to you in your walk with Christ. So have a blessed week. Make sure to tune in next week and thanks for joining us on The Saved Podcast.